Pastini is Eugene's new Italian bistro at Oakway Center, dedicated to serving up two of life's greatest pleasures, pasta and wine. Join them for classic favorites like spaghetti and meatballs, linguine with clams and sausage, and fettuccine Alfredo paired with hand-selected Pacific Northwest and Italian wines. Pastini. Eat pasta. Drink wine. Welcome to the Duck Pod from DuckSports.com. Here's Ryan Thorburn and Austin Meek from the Register Guard Newsroom. All right, we're back, except I've swapped out Austin Meek for Steve Mims this week. Steve, we haven't had a chance to talk a lot of college basketball uh, on the podcast lately. We've, you know, went over the softball situation and football signing day, but, uh, it's getting into the stretch run here. The Super Bowl is over. A lot of people are starting to focus on college basketball. Oregon, obviously, as everyone knows, lost Bull Bull, their key recruit to an injury early in the season, and, and have been up and down since coming off a win over Cal. Uh, where do you see the state of the program right now? Can they salvage the season and make a run at the NCAA tournament? I think getting the top four spot in the Pac-12 tournament would be tough right now. I mean, I think the way you look at top four right now, halfway through is six and three, say probably 11 and seven might get you in a tie there and Oregon at five and five. That means six and two the rest of the way. They got five games on the road. They haven't been real consistent on the road. I think at this point, it looks like a team that's probably going to be a nine and nine, ten and eight at best. And, you know, Washington's running away, but it feels like somebody, you know, at least three other teams will get to either 12 and six or 11 and seven. So then the thing for Oregon becomes, I think, well, then you want the five or the six because that gets you Cal or Washington State in the first round. If you end up in that seven to ten mess, you're going to have a game where on the opening night, you're probably going to have to play your guys to the end and that just kind of take away your chance of making a run. I think at this show, their best bet would be try to finish 5-6. You get Washington State or Cal, you could potentially get through that with giving your guys some rest, and, and then maybe you've got some momentum going through. But I think a top four is almost out of question at this point. The good news, I guess, even though Washington's record you know, indicates that they're a dominant team, there are really no dominant teams this year. It's pretty wide open. How many teams do you think could win the Pac-12 tournament if they're one of the if they get into that top four, or can a team win four in four nights? I think this could be a year. You know, Colorado's the only team that ever did it the first year they had the tournament. Um, I think you're right. I mean, I think with Washington, I think both the L.A. schools, there's enough talent there to do it. Oregon State, I think, you know, the way they're playing right now, and if they get a top four in particular, they're not real deep. I think they would need a top four to do it. I don't love the way Colorado, you know, Colorado had a nice win last night. Utah, I think, a little bit on the outside. But I would say, and if you're putting Oregon in there, you're probably looking at the top, I bet you the top seven, top eight teams going in there will feel like it. And like I say, I think the five and the six are going to feel like they almost have a bye because Washington State and Cal, I mean, Cal may be winless going into that. Washington State, you know, may not have any wins other than Cal. So I do think it gets a little deeper there and that the five and the six are going to feel a little better like they can get through it without exerting everything. But I think you're probably looking at seven or eight teams that will head in there feeling like they got a chance at it. Do you think there's a path for Oregon or Oregon State to get an at-large bid? I don't. I thought Oregon had to go probably 14-4 and in Pac-12 to have any chance, and they've already – got five. Oregon State's problem is they just don't have any good wins. Um, you know, their only chance in Pac-12, they lost at home to Washington. Non-conference, they lost at neutral site, but in Portland to A&M. They just didn't have enough good teams on the schedule and the few they had, St. Louis, those, they lost those games. So, 
I think at this point, I think they're fourteen and seven. I mean, I guess there's a case if they won out, but I think at this point they they know they also probably have to get that top four by. And if they did that, I mean, that's a team that you could see winning the conference. If they only had to win three, and Washington was, you know, if maybe they were the two or the three, and they just could get through to get to Washington at the end. I, I think with the way Tinkle's playing right now, the way the Thompsons can kind of heat up over a three day span, I think that team would have, you know, your betting odds in Vegas would be as good as anybody outside the Huskies at this point. So what do you what do you make of the state of the Pac-12 right now? Do you think a lot of this is cyclical, or do you think this FBI cloud is really affecting the whole conference? Obviously, Arizona's in the microscope again, and they're really a program the Pac-12 needs to be good. What, what do you kind of view the state of men's basketball right now? Yeah, one of the problems is that the two flagship programs both have really no leadership right now. I mean, UCLA fired their coach before the season. They've got an interim deal, and now you're wondering who they're going to get. And you're right. I mean, this Arizona thing's coming up. seems like the, the the end of the tunnel is there for Sean Miller at this point. I mean, it feels like he may get into the through the rest of the season, but you know the way they fired his assistant yesterday basically looks like that was kind of a you know a decision made to to kind of you know get the get the program you know some checks and balances there. And then you look at the fact that there's going to be some testimony coming up. There's probably some wiretaps that include him that he'd be able to avoid any of those getting out during the first trial, but those may get out here. So I think the biggest problem with the con- I mean. One problem is that your bad teams are really bad. I think Washington State and Cal are about as bad as any Power 5 teams you're going to have. And then your two programs that should be leading the way that everybody expects to, Arizona and UCLA, just don't have any leadership right now. So we're only two years removed from Oregon going to the Final Four with that great nucleus they had. And now you're looking at two years that are pretty disappointing where you're going to have a one-and-done player. Do you think Dane Altman will change the recruiting philosophy again or or does he just chalk it up to bad luck with the bull bull situation yeah i don't i mean they're in on cole anthony who's the point guard who's ranked like the number three prospect in the country and is considered to be as you know as lock as much of a lock of a one and done in next year's class as there is a guy who's basically trying to find a spot where he can go in and, and get his one year um so no i mean they're certainly still staying with those guys they'd like to i think find a few more of these guys that'll come in and aren't one and done and, and also then with that that don't transfer i mean they have you know keith smith off of last year's team and mj cage and abu kijab this year guys that aren't one and done in in an nba sense but both left you know didn't stick around and kind of develop so i think what they'd like to do is keep bringing in if you can bring in one one and done particularly if it's a point guard like anthony or a big guy like bull but have you know other starters around him that have been a, been around a while but i think that's been the biggest problem with altman's deal is he's you know it's not been the one and done he's gotten it's been the guys who should be three and four years who've left before that because they want to wait around. So Oregon hosts uh, Stanford on Sunday and then just transitioning to women's hoops. Um, the Ducks, 10-0 in the Pac-12, uh, head to the Bay Area this Friday. They're playing at Cal Sunday at Stanford. Really a defining road trip for them. Those two teams don't come to Eugene this year. Uh, Sabrina Ionescu is being talked about nationally as a possible three-and-done, <laughs> which is rare in women's basketball. And, and Graves said he'd happy, happily be the uh, John Calipari of women's hoops if that's <laughs> three-and-done and you get the best players. Um, personally, I don't think she's going to leave after a junior year. Um, the economics of the WNBA are, are entirely different than the NBA um, you're actually more of a star in college than you are in the WNBA, but that's a road that she'll have to choose later on down the road. But uh, this weekend, really, uh, 
their path to repeating is this weekend, and then they have obviously Oregon State back to back after that. But this is where it gets serious. Yeah, it's a homecoming weekend for her too, right? So Sabrina yeah. will have everybody there. But you're going down to those games. It's it's California and Stanford, and you say Stanford's always been the if you're going to beat, you're going to win the title, you got to beat Stanford. Oregon was able to do that last year. Do they play them twice this year? Do they get Stanford at home? No, this is it. So this is this it. This is it. So this would be the one where if they get it, then all of a sudden it gives you the tiebreaker too, and it gives you a tiebreaker on the road. Yeah, it's it's interesting because Cal always has a roster that you would think is the most talented in the league. Christina Nigue is the most dominant player in the league, yet they're sitting here at 5-5, at five and five, but they just beat Stanford. They split their rivalry games with Stanford. So a dangerous game on Friday night, I think, The fact that Sabrina is from there, we'll have a lot of fans there. I don't think Oregon's going to overlook Cal by any means, but a dangerous game on Friday night. And then um, I don't think Oregon's won at Stanford in 30 years. So that would be uh, obviously a historic win if they could get that. And if they do sweep this, I think you can uh, chalk them up as defending champions. Yeah, and it's a two-week deal because then you've got Oregon State home and home. So basically you've got what the – three of the next four opponents are, are top 10 caliber and Cal's obviously been up there but this is kind of the two weeks that'll determine if this team I mean the possibility of 18 and 0 is out there and kind of staring at them I know it's been a little bit early for for that to come to talk yet but if they get through these two weeks I think you know with concern the fact they've already won the conference title last year it's been accomplished 18 and 0 maybe becomes the question that hovers over this team the last two weeks yeah I as well as they're playing that I think I still think that's a tall task. If they could get three out of these four, they're still in the driver's seat, you know, clearly to win the conference and and possibly get the number one seed uh, in the Portland region, which uh, is going to be huge. I mean, they have a chance to host the first two rounds at Matthew Knight Arena and then uh, the Sweet 16 and uh, Elite Eight games will be in Portland. So um, their path to the Final Four is pretty clear. Yeah, and Stanford, with that loss to Cal, that really kind of gave Oregon, you know, there's a little bit of breathing room there. And, um, you know, like I say, they've, they've got what, because Utah was at one loss and Oregon gave them one. And then you got Stanford and Oregon State coming up. So you're right. I mean, even if Oregon gets to 14-0, their margins, I mean, they're probably a, a game or two away from being able to clinch it at that point. And certainly it would be, at, you know, at this point, I seems like hosting the first round and then getting the Portland to bid would seem almost like an automatic at this point. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing is Oregon State is – you know, one game back of Oregon, they're alone in second place. So you have the two uh, rivals at one-two right now, which would which could set up a you know a matchup where they play a third time in Las Vegas, which would be fun. Uh, the Pac-12 Women's Tournament also moving to Las Vegas, but not at the same time as the Men's Tournament. So um, really interesting to see where this program's come in the last couple of years because. There wasn't a lot of talk about women's college basketball in Eugene my first two or three years in the, in in at the Register Guard. Well, it feels also like I mean Stanford. I know that there was talk with uh, with Tara Vanderveer at Media Day when she was kind of enjoying the fact. Oh, everybody wants to talk about Oregon. You know, every year it's normally been Stanford's the preseason favorite almost every year, and she sort of took a that's fine. We'll kind of wait around and see how it goes. And and we know Oregon State. You know, they had kind of come in to dominate Oregon and had it, and now Kelly Graves has kind of moved in on some of their territory. So I'm sure there's nothing. More more that they'd like to do than give Oregon that first one. So you get past Cal, I, like I say, those next three, I think,
think it's not only you know really good opponents, but some, but some opponents that maybe have a little bit out for Oregon at this point feel like maybe Oregon's kind of come into their turf a little bit and, and a chance for them to kind of push back. And you know, I think for Oregon State and Stanford, they they feel like they get a win over Oregon. There, they're suddenly right back in the conference tournament race. Yeah, it's a it's a deep conference. As I mentioned, Cal is a dangerous team that I could see in the Sweet Sixteen. So Larry Scott may be bragging about women's hoops at his <laughs> annual uh, football sign or football media day uh, speech that he gives. Uh, there's not a lot else to brag about right now. Uh, just transitioning to football quickly, uh, we're a day after the February signing day. Um, Oregon adds three more players to what is now officially a top 10 recruiting class. Um, not a lot going on yesterday. I mean, they signed two DBs from uh, the South and a defensive tackle from the South uh, to go with what was really a stellar haul from California this year. Just your overall takeaway on Mario Cristobal entering year two with a really good nucleus coming back and now a historic recruiting class coming in. Yeah, you mentioned that they didn't sign a lot yesterday, but it seemed like, you know, with all the pictures we saw, Mario took Justin Herbert and Troy Dye up to Nike, and Jim Levitt took Tyler Shuck and Tyler Graham down to Medford. It seemed like Oregon really won, even though there wasn't much news yesterday. They kind of used it as a combined, hey, let's celebrate this whole class in general here and, and make sure we go around the state and kind of let people know just what we got and let us know. So, like I say, it was, it was interesting yesterday to see that whereas there were only three additions, it was sort of a second chance to kind of announce the, the number seven class it was sort of December over again so yeah it'll be fascinating to see you know how these guys fit in I mean I think we look at receiver we look at Thibodeau maybe stepping in for Jelks there just how many of these guys are ready to go right away there's a lot of secondary guys and and certainly some openings there as well so um you know with the quarterback back I I think they feel pretty good about their running backs coming back I think they feel good about their line so offensively it it just feels and it seems like there's still a grad transfer from Penn State who's out there as a possibility and wide receiver who's still apparently committed to USC but considering Oregon considering Washington so I think that's going to be a thing to watch is, is just to see going into the spring how the guys who arrive early and then even into the fall just how much of turnover is on that depth chart. I, I don't think you look at kind of the top returning receivers and start building your depth chart with that. I think everything's going to be jumbled heading into the fall. Yeah, it's similar to 2014 in that they have a potential Heisman Trophy quarterback coming back and really a bunch of unknowns at wide receiver. Obviously, that year it turned out terrific with Devin Allen emerging, Darren Carrington emerging, um, Dwayne Stanford coming off an injury and emerging. So, can they have a repeat of that where you know they have four uh, wide receivers in this class? They redshirted three or four last year, uh, including uh, Brian Addison, who looks the part, but certainly uh, obviously needed some development. And then you have uh, Johnny Johnson and Schooler and, and Red and some guys that have experience but didn't do much behind Dylan Mitchell. So that's clearly the number one storyline going into fall camp. And we haven't seen a lot of true freshman receivers for, you know, a couple years ago that Willie's year, he brought in the Florida guys, Dimitri Burge, Daywood Davis, that group. Johnny Johnson played, but, you know, that group didn't really, we didn't see a whole lot. Last year, obviously, they, they lost the guy they wanted with, uh, you know, Jalen Hall didn't even make it to campus and then they only ended up, I think they ended up redshirting with two of the three they had so they didn't get a whole lot out of that true freshman class and this just feels like a year when that can't be the case and with with the number of guys they're bringing in um, they need to hit there if they get a grad transfer it can't be Dabari Hines again you can't bring in a grad transfer who plays four games and puts his name in the transfer portal to head somewhere else so I, I think that would be a key for them would be to get 
somebody to come in and, you know, like I say, not beat Tabari Hines, but to be a guy who Justin Herbert can right away say, all right, that can be my number one. We'll match him up here with, with Schooler and Red and some of the new guys. But I think it would be nice that rather than having to rely on one of those true freshmen to maybe be the go-to guy to have a senior there. The other interesting storyline for me is uh, you have Jim Levitt, and they're adding 14 really good defensive players to a unit that has a lot of good players coming back. And you have Mario Cristobal, and the two never seem to mention each other, never <laughs> seem to be around each other. Does that work long term? Essentially, having two different head coaches, um, Jim's paid like almost like a head coach, and you know I, I couldn't help but notice that you know Mario named just about every assistant helped out with these three <laughs> recruits. He never mentioned Jim and their defensive players. So that whole relationship's interesting to me. I think it's it's working so far. I mean, you can understand that that Jim wanted to be a head coach and the players signed the petition for Mario. So it's a little awkward, but um, you know, that was over a year ago and and it seems to be working. Jim seems to be tweeting again and happy again. So uh, you know, he threw his hat in the ring for a bunch of jobs, didn't get him. Uh, Do you think he's settled on, okay, I'm going to be the Oregon defensive coordinator and and make the most. I think he has to. I just don't think there's any other place that's going to be able to offer him what he's getting, you know, and it's funny. You saw last night, Mario took much coaches up North and Jim was on a little plane heading down to the South. So they went, set their separate ways there. I mean, it seems to me like, and you hear all the time, you know, they talk about players, oh, teammates don't have to love each other. They just have to respect each other and play well. And feels like that to me, that, that those are two guys who, who respect what they do. I'm sure Jim is a part of him that feels like, hey, I could be the head coach of this program. If I had gotten the opportunity, I could be doing the same things here. And there's probably a little bit there, but um, I do think that he, like I say, he's Oregon came in and, and gave him the money to say, hey, we think highly of you. And these days, there's not a whole lot of coordinators that are getting $1.7 million. And, um, you know, the head coaching job, if he'd have gotten one of those, would have given him that. But otherwise, if, if unless he wants to take less money, he's going to, this is pretty much the place to be. And I do think he, you know, there's, he has a passion for these players. He likes these guys. And, you know, he's put a couple years into it. We saw Colorado was, what, two years and he left. He kind of built it up and left. And maybe he's at a point where he'd like to take some guys through their entire career and this and that. But it definitely doesn't feel like you say that the two of them are going out to lunch every day. But it seems like, you know, it might be a couple different offers is a little bit further away and they they get together when they need to but for the most part I I think Jim takes the defense and and Mario leaves that there with with Hayward and and Joe and and Mario focuses a little bit more on the offense well for those of you who can't get enough football it'll be here soon Uh, Mario said the first practice is March 7th so uh, they'll be getting after it and they'll have you know double digit uh, number of these recruits on campus for that so that'll be fun to see them in the spring game and hopefully get to talk to them uh, during practices. So uh, anyway, uh, make sure you go to DuckSports.com to keep up with all of the basketball and looming football. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Duck Pod from DuckSports.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And always available at DuckSports.com. Duck Sports.